Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read your word and study it together. We ask that you would speak through this sermon, that uh, each and every one of us would take home what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, um, I'm not going to start the sermon today with a uh, catchy attention grabber. I'm just going to ask us to dive deep into the Word of God. So, if you have a Bible uh, with you, or if you have one in front of you, uh, there are some scattered throughout the sanctuary, or if you have one on your phone, please do open it with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll start with verse 15. For this commandment that I command you today, oh, sorry, I'm starting in verse 11, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. When Moses says, see, I have set before you today, I think it's important for us to understand the context of what's going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So, the people of God were in slavery in Egypt not too long before this. They were uh, living lives of burden, lives of misery, lives of wondering where God was. And God intervened and freed them from slavery, brought them out of Egypt, took them into the desert where he revealed himself to his people. He said, this is who I am. This is what it means to live a life with me. He revealed his law to his people, uh, not as the way of their salvation. I think this is something very important that we get right. I think a lot of times we look at the Old Testament and we say, I don't know if I like the God of the Old Testament, right? He seems to be a mean God, a God of law, a God of punishment. And I think it's really important to see here in Deuteronomy that God God is revealing who he is to his people because he would like them to live a life with him. He has saved them, and because he has saved them, he's revealed this is what it means to walk with me. And so that's exactly what Moses is doing in the book of Deuteronomy. He's looking at the people of God and saying, this is what God has revealed to us about himself. Now, the only problem was that same people who, were, who experienced God freed them from slavery, that same people, as soon as they were about to enter into the promised land that God had given to their forefathers and promised to them, as soon as that was about to happen, they got really afraid. They said, God, you are not powerful enough to save us from these enemies that we are about to face. And because of this, God, not out of a desire to punish them for the sake of punishing them, but out of a desire to teach them something and a desire to teach us something, kept them in the desert for 40 years. I think this is really important to understand. Time and time again, God's character is to teach them about himself so that they can have life. And so... This generation who feared their enemies, who doubted God's power in their lives, they've had 40 years to learn this, and now their kids are about to enter into the promised land. And so what is Moses doing? He is laying out the story of God's people. He has to remind them this is the story that God has been revealing to us, and honestly, we need to do this time and time again. What Moses is doing in Deuteronomy is a principle for us time and time again, The basics of the Christian faith will never get old. We will not stop talking about them. Uh, There's a 
teacher I once had who used to always talk about how the gospel is not the ABC of the Christian faith. It is the A to Z of the Christian faith. It is not the basics that you get so you can move on to the bigger and better things. We will come back to this story time and time again. And that's exactly what Moses is doing here with the people of God. He's revealing to them, this is how God has worked in our midst. Therefore, let us live the way of life. So that's exactly what happens here when Moses says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Now, what Moses specifically is doing in chapters 28 through 30 is he is giving them a foreshadowing of what they should expect. So I would like to compare what's happening here in this passage, and we're not going to read through everything, but in this passage he gives them a realistic view of what is coming their way when they enter into the promised land. And I'd like to compare it with a movie I watched recently called The Green Knight. Um, I'm not going to go into too many details. I don't want to ruin the movie for you. If you've never seen it, please, and you like uh, kind of medieval fantasy stuff, uh, I would encourage you. It's a work, a masterpiece from... Uh, from I believe the 12th century, that uh, has been adapted for as a movie. And so I would encourage you to take a look if that's something that interests you. But in this movie, half of the movie isn't actually real. It's a foreshadowing, it's a vision that the character is having of what's going to happen. And so you're watching the movie and you're like, you're thinking all of this is happening. And lo and behold, scene change happens and you're like, none of it was actually real. It was a vision that this main character was getting so that he could see what the future of his life would hold and be able to make a decision accordingly. And he did not like what he saw. And that's it. I'll leave it at that. You just ruined it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I guess I ruined some of the beauty of that movie. But I would encourage you nonetheless to try and enjoy it. However, that is what is happening here in Deuteronomy chapter 30 as Moses is saying... This is what is coming your way. I think what's interesting about the way that the gospel works throughout the Bible is not, it's not a motivational speech. I think that motivational speakers have a very important place, um, but it's not the way that God typically acts with us. He doesn't say, you've got this. You've got all the things you need to make this work. He gives them a real perspective and says, this is going to be a challenge. I'm not sure you're going to like everything that you're going to face. And yet, I encourage you, because you have a real perspective and I've given you the tools you need to fight the good fight. That is the way that it works. And so that's exactly how Moses interacts with them here. He gives them a real perspective. For example, he says, at the beginning of chapter 30, he says, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, Return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So I will ruin this story. Um, Israel enters the promised land, and it is not always great. And at some point along the line, they fail miserably as a nation and are taken into exile about a thousand years later. And in all of this, God is working to teach his people about who he is. That is his heart. So we'll move on to verse 16. Here Moses says, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, 
by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So, we, like Israel, are standing on the cusp of the promised land, the life that God has for us. We live in a kingdom that is here already and not yet. We are living God's plan, and at the same time, we know that there's still a ways to go before we arrive in glory. And so, like Israel, we need to ask the question, what does it mean to live in God's kingdom? And Moses says to his people, he says, I would like for your life with God to be a, li- to be a life of life, abundantly. The way of life, what is it? So, he describes love, uh, living with God as primarily surrounding the concept of love of God. I think this is really important that we understand this because we read about his commandments, obeying, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments, his statutes, and his rules. I think that there's a quick misunderstanding. So a few weeks ago, I was ordained a priest. Many of you were here for that. And my mother uh, came all the way from Ohio for it. And before she came, one of her friends, who I've known since I was a child, said, Ah, yeah, Jared, the Bible thumper. So I'm not offended, though. I really am not, because I get it. I get why people think that, because they, they, when they hear words like this, the way of life is following God's commandments, obeying the ways of the Lord, they hear, you better get right. You better do the right thing. They see a wagging finger. It's like, try harder, make a better effort, then God will love you. That is so incorrect. That is not what we believe. We do not believe that God will love you because you do the right things. God loves you so much that he saved you, and because he saved you, he wants you to live this way. That is the gospel. And that is what I think is so hard to keep maintaining and why we have to talk about it all the time. Because this is not just moralism. And so, devotion to the Lord centers around your affections. You'll notice in this passage it talks about loving God. It talks about your heart. That's where we start. And so my question is, does the story of the gospel compel you deeply to enter into a relationship with the Lord that changes your life? So here Moses says, the way of true life is found in a deep and devoted relationship to the Lord that will go through the ups and downs of life. And so if you are wondering, how can I live? How can I have this life that God is promising the answer is not to try harder, to make an effort. I mean, I would say make an effort, but that's not... <laughs> sorry, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I'm not saying don't make an effort, but it's not. Go into your week and just try X, Y, Z, then you will be better. It starts in this question of letting God transforming your life. You see, God wants to transform your life. So there's two ways that we misunderstand the gospel. right? So one of them is, We understand it as moralism. Do the right thing, then God will love you. I already talked about that. But the other way is, oh, because God forgives me, I'm good. And I think I personally would rather have you land on that side than on the side that you have to earn God's love. But that's also not the truth. God longs to transform your life. He longs to give you the life he has for you. He longs for you to become a new person, renewed, 
into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is God's heart for you. And so this week, my invitation would be, fan this flame of a deeper love of God in your heart. Fan it to do whatever you need to do. Not to be a better person so that he'll love you, but to experience his love and let it transform you. That is my invitation for you this week. So now, if we continue to verse 17 through 18, it says, But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. So here's that real perspective that we just talked about. So Moses is saying, God wants you to live, and he's going to give you the tools you need. But to be aware that it's not always going to be easy, and there are things which are vying for your attention. You see, this focus on the heart continues in, the, in both ways, right? So the issue is the heart. That is the foundation of everything. But what he's saying is there are things which will be vying for your attention, distracting you. I think it's interesting the way that he says, but if your hearts turn away, you will not hear. I think this is just a fascinating concept because I think that sometimes when our hearts are distracted, we, it's, we stop hearing the Lord speak truth into our life. And so this is, this is a tough reality. So Moses says, if you give in and you experience these things, you will not live long. So he's giving this realistic perspective of the exile that they will experience. In this case, I think it's important for us to understand that sin has real consequences. Right? So sin is, as much as it has no power over us, if we let it take root in our life, it has consequences that will affect us, and God's heart is to free us from them. And so... I think sometimes the Christian life is like peeling back layers of the onion. And every time you think that you've gotten where you need to go, there's another layer. And so I think that that's what makes it challenging sometimes. And that's why I'm fascinated by the way that God describes salvation as a way, right, as a path. Because it isn't, it isn't a one-time decision that will make everything easy. That decision that you make to accept Jesus into your life is important, but it's not going, it's not the whole story. And I think that's where we need to be reminded this is a journey that we're on. But as we see that there's, sin, there's real consequences for sin, I think that it's important to understand what is the heart of the Lord in these consequences, right? So when it says, you shall surely perish, I think there's something, the hair on our neck starts to go up a little bit, Right? God does not want to kill you. God does not want you to perish. He does not want to make you suffer. God wants to save you. That is his heart. And so when God exposes these layers of your life, he's doing it out of mercy. And so when you see things come to light that you didn't even know about, sometimes I think that's what's so challenging about the Christian faith, is it's like, I did not know about this. It's like a new thing that I'm seeing in myself. When that happens, the Lord's desire is to expose these things for the sake of life, not death. And so, it is good for us to discern the consequences of our sin and wake up to our heart's affections. It was good for Israel, this is weird to say, but it was good for them to be in the desert for 40 years. 
and it's good for them that they go into exile, not because God wants them to suffer, but because he wants them to see these gods vying for their attention and wake them up to the realities that are true in their life. So I think that part of what's fascinating about our prayer book tradition, just to advertise it, I think it's great that we started off our service really well with the Collect for Purity, and then we even sang a song based on it. Um, But our prayer book, this is one of the reasons why we love our prayer book tradition, because this is the center theology of how we worship on Sunday morning. So I don't know if you noticed this, but the language that we pray to start our service every week is the language that Moses uses here in this passage. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Here it's about the heart. We're going to start with that. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that what? We may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. So this is the prayer we start worshiping with every week, and it's, it's rooted deeply in these words that Moses has for us. The way of life is to let our hearts be changed. So now if we look forward to verses 19 through 20, it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So here, the, the language of, I call heaven and earth to witness against you, I think it's important that we understand what these words are. This is how covenants were done in those days. So covenants are contracts with real consequences. Okay, so God makes a covenant with his people, and he says, I would like you to live with me, but if you go the way of death, you're breaking the covenant. And so there's a real perspective here from day one, and I think here, though, we already see something that's happening that is good news, and that is Jesus Christ takes upon himself the curses of the covenant, the things that we cannot bear. And so Jesus Christ redefines what it means to live because he is the source of true life. He's the one that conquers death. He's the one that carries those things that we have in our lives. And so, in our gospel reading today, Luke 14, if you want to turn with me there, if you have your Bibles, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. In other places, he talks about, for example, it is by renouncing life that you will gain life. So Jesus redefines through the way that he takes upon himself the, cur- the burdens and the shame and the sin and the curses of the covenant. He redefines what it means to live, and he says that it is the way of the cross. And so that way of the cross gives us what we need to face the dark sides of our life. I had a friend, uh, I used to be a missionary in Germany, and I had a friend who to this day, she just doesn't understand why we start the service talking about sin, right? She's like, why, why do we have to talk about all this stuff? Like, you Christians just want to make us feel the burdens of shame and sin more. And I said, no, we can talk about it because we don't have the burden of it. That's why we can talk about it. Last week, I was at a conference where um, we had an 
author come named Kurt Thompson. He wrote a book called The Anatomy of the Soul and a couple other books, and he talked all week. Unfortunately, most of the time whenever he was speaking, I had to wash dishes and do random things like that. So, but I got to chauffeur him around town and talk to him a lot, and we talked about how because, precisely because Christ bears the burdens, we can talk about the things that are burdening us. And so he really encouraged all the church planners in that room in Denver last week to talk about things and to create spaces where people can share openly because we're not afraid to look these things in the face because of what Jesus has done. So this is counterintuitive because we think this will not give us life, right? Talking about these things, dealing with these things. But the counterintuitive wisdom of the gospel is if you give up your life, you will gain it. The gospel is not an addition to your already great life. You do not have to clean up your life. You do not have to have a great life. And then the gospel is like the cherry on top that makes it all 100% sure. It is a new life. So how do I choose life? Moses says, I just think it's so good that he says this so powerfully. He says, therefore choose life. So how do we choose life this week? And um, my, one of my answers to you may sound like I'm, I'm tapping out or I'm copping out. I'm not giving you the answers, but it's the very question. How do I choose life? So I know you're like, Father Jared, you're supposed to give me the answer, and I'm giving you a question for this week. But that's my question for you. I think that that question in and of itself will be a powerful transformer of your life to say that, how do I choose life? Because the way of life and the way of death are constantly present. How do I choose life? And uh, another thing that I'd like to give you today is that I think one of the challenging things about choosing life is that sometimes it will hurt more initially, right? So choosing life has different aspects in light of this text. One of them, of course, is sin, right? He says to walk according to his commandments. And so choosing life is when you are faced, facing a radical decision uh, this week, it's to choose the one that isn't sin. It's very practical. But I also don't want us to just talk about sin all the time because I think there's many other things associated with the way of death that are burdening us and weighing us down. And so uh, one of those things I believe very strongly is uh, the way that we are shaped God wants to give us a new life. He wants to transform us, but we realistically are shaped by things that, that cause us problems. My, uh, my marriage, the way that I am a priest here at this church, the way that I, all of, even all of the gifts that I bring to the table are often shaped in some way by my background, and that background has problems. Just be very open about that. And so um, a few weeks ago, I was visiting a friend in Cincinnati. He's been a good friend of mine since I was a kid. And uh, we were talking about this. He was talking about some research he's been doing on the issue of shame dynamics. And one of the things he talked about was that uh, there's a book that he's been reading that talks about a study that's been done on people who are severely obese. And so with this, um, he... These are people who, it's not just that they skip you know, going to the gym or anything, it's, it's a severe eating problem. And uh, in this research, they found that by giving people antidepressants, it helps for six months, 
because a lot of times these, uh, these issues that they're facing are related to severe childhood trauma. And so in this, uh, the antidepressants take off a lot of that pressure and allow people to start feeling progress in their life, to lose weight. They've been trying for years, they've been fighting for years to deal with these issues, and all of a sudden they start to see progress and are amazed and are uh, celebrating. But what happens is after about six months, the antidepressants start to wear off. They don't have the same effect. And the issue is there's underlying problems that need to be dealt with. And 90, something like 90%, I can't remember the exact number, and I did not do my research to make sure I had the exact numbers, but something like 90% of the people that were in this study ended up walking away from it and going back to their previous life because it was too painful to face the things that were the actual problem. I think that that sometimes is the way of the cross, right? It feels like it's undoable. I have to give up my life. I have to renounce something. I have to face something that causes pain. But that pain is step one in healing. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to heal. And so I would invite you, if you're feeling that pain, to lean into it because God is going to use this as part of healing you. Um, my prayer for Redeemer is that we be a safe space for people who need healing, that we create a space where you can talk about the things that you're burdened by. But then my second part of that prayer is that we be a place for healing. We're not just a safe space, but we're also a place where people truly can walk the way of life because that is what God's heart for you is. Irenaeus, uh, an early uh, church father, he said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. So when we talk about the way of cross, I think sometimes the way of the cross, sometimes we think the Christian life is meant to just be really hard. And I think that there's seasons of life where sometimes it's harder than others. But that is not God's desire for you. His desire for you is being fully alive in Jesus. And so I just want to close with the words of Psalm 1 today that we read in call and response before. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is God's heart for you. This image is of a tree deeply rooted in the way of life. In, I was at St. Francis Prayer Center a couple weeks ago preparing for my ordination. And one of the things I noticed as I was walking around is the beauty of these trees that are planted right next to the stream. And that image just stood out to me. That is God's heart for you, being fully alive, being deeply rooted, and being able to withstand all of the things that are coming. Because realistically, there are things that will come time and time again. So let's be trees planted by the stream of water. Let's, lead our, let's yield our fruit in due season. And let's let our leaves not wither. Amen.